As an American, I, of course, like you, believe in open and fair elections. From the time we were in first and second grade, you got to raise your hand. We knew you weren't allowed to raise two hands. You weren't allowed to sneak someone in from another class. An election had to be fair. One person, one vote. I believe all legal votes should be counted. I don't believe, and I'm sure you believe the same, that any should be suppressed. But only legal votes should be counted. Our country depends on that. Our entire way of running this government depends on that fact, integrity and trust. Well, right now it is very hard to get the facts as to what actually happened. But if there were election irregularities, as there appears to be, late votes, unguarded votes through the mail, maybe lost votes, duplicates, all kinds of people are coming forward and providing actual evidence of these kinds of things, unlikely vote totals reversed overnight with no eyeballs watching what was going on, poll watchers denied their legal access to see if there was any shenanigans going on, election laws themselves being changed last minute to extend deadlines, not something that is illegal but is different and strange, glitches supposedly in software to favor one side over the other. Well, I, like any fair-minded person, reading about that and hearing dozens and dozens of sources saying that this is going on, I'm going to lose confidence in an election process. I'm going to lose confidence in the results of any election like that. At the very best, just an average Joe sitting on his couch at home, I'm going to be left with so many questions, and I'm not going to have the answers to my questions. And the Church of Jesus, because we have one foot in heaven, and we still have one foot here in the earth, we have an important voice in this as well. I pointed out that one of the great roles of the Church of Jesus Christ in society when all of these issues arise is that we are a voice. God has commanded that we be a voice in society. We are called children of light, and we are supposed to speak up. No one has the right to tell us to calm down and be quiet and not speak or just go along and agree. And yet that is exactly what we are being asked to do to trust them before the courts are allowed to weigh in, to trust but not verify. Whoever heard of that? Trust but don't verify. Who even has the right to declare that an election is already over, that it was already won? Well, the media doesn't have that right to do that. They take it upon themselves, but that's not their lawful right. The courts do. When you see one side's been rooting for one side anyway, of course you're going to doubt what they're saying. And as we said, the courts have the legal voice to speak. Any objective person that is looking at this, any objective person knows that this country will never be able to repair the damage that is going on right now. They'll never be able to rebuild trust in the government or even rebuild trust in an election from half of its citizens, if that's how they are going to be treated. Imagine us doing that here at Hope Bible Church, where half of the people who disagree are never given an opportunity to see evidence and to have their voice counted. That is bad. 
I wish I could sugarcoat it for you today. I wish I could make it sound better. I wish I could soften the reality of this, but it is very, very bad for our country. As bad as things were, they just got worse. How can proper evidence for an election even be gathered when access to that very evidence is slowed and stonewalled? Well, that is what millions of Americans today, right now, what you and I, what millions of Christians right now are thinking about this morning. How is that supposed to work? How is that supposed to bring a nation together? How is that supposed to promote truth? Who's going to dig up the full truth anyways? And if they do dig it up, and if they lay it out for everyone so they can see it with their own eyes, will it even matter in the end after all? Who actually is in charge of this country? Who's running it? We thought it was us. We may find out that it's a smaller group, an oligarchy, that really pulled the strings behind the scenes. What are Christians supposed to do? Christians who are allowed to disagree in their politics, but still want the truth from their government. To conservatives, this has the signs of an election trying to be stolen, of rule by the influential few. And no, this is not just about politics. This affects this church profoundly. It affects believers across the United States of America in a very intimate way. How can we obey or even trust our God-given leaders when we're not even sure who those God-given leaders are? We're commanded in the Bible to submit, even the rulers we don't like. But what if they're not supposed to be our rulers? If we want to be dedicated to Romans 13, 1 Peter 3, and those kinds of things, surely we have a right to know. And then there's the issue of freedoms. Who's going to guard our freedoms? Freedoms that have been here for hundreds of years. Who's going to speak up for that? Just like any injustice that would happen from the lowest levels on the streets on up to the stealing at Wall Street, this has gone to the highest level. And where there is injustice, it should sadden a righteous community. And I can tell you, it saddens me. I'm sad. I'm sad for our country. My dad served the United States of America with a career in the State Department overseas. I grew up loving this nation. But right now, I'm sad. I, I'm sad for many reasons. My hip is killing me. <laughs> and so the cancer gave me a really tough week. And then we've tasked the deacons with figuring out a way to get us all back. And this COVID just will not blow away. And then we have chaos in the country. I said to myself, cancer, COVID, and country. Ah. And I was in despair. From such a sullen disposition, how am I supposed to climb out of that? What do I return to? What is that one solid thing in my life? when all else fails. Well, I came back to another word, and I'm a preacher, so it had to start with the letter C, right? It's Christ, right? Christ is over my cancer. Christ is over my COVID. Christ is over our country. And if I want to put another in that I'm not disappointed in, is over our church as well. He rules still. And my hope, my expectations... My hope that one day my countenance will be brightened again 
is really only in him, not too much else. He is my hope. He is your hope, not this election, not the next court decision that will be made, not a coming vaccine, not a cure for cancer, although all those things would be welcome. (laughs) Beloved, at the base of our lives and what brings us all together is our hope in Christ. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, so it's kind of easy to remember, three great realities abide in the present. Do you remember what they are? Faith, hope, and love. Love's the greatest because it endures beyond this life because we're not going to need faith and hope when we actually see eye to eye, right? But right now we have faith, hope, and love. Hope is a great Christian reality. I want to focus on hope today with you. I need it. I think you might need it. I'd like us to meditate on what a little bit about what the Bible says about this grand theme of hope. Christianity gives mankind certain hope. When all other hopes disintegrate, what does this world really offer folks out there? Well, people hope for health, but they get disease eventually. They hope for truth, but they get distortions. They hope for life, they get death. The things of this world always disappoint. I know for a while you can be really excited about things, particularly young people, but then they realize life is a lot harder and a lot more unfair than they ever dreamed it was before, and they kind of come down a few notches. That's why you see older folks that are not quite as enthusiastic about life below as maybe the young people are with all the things they have yet to experiment. No, the things of this world always disappoint. Even the great things and the good things are temporary. They don't last down here. You get off a roller coaster ride and it's what's next, you know? Let's move on. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, Paul wrote, the things which are seen are temporal. Well, that's everything around us. They're all temporary. But the things that are not seen are eternal. We need a more effective strategy to deal with our disappointments because you're going to have them. What does Jesus offer us. He offers this. He offers us a gospel. That means good news. Ah, It means great news. He offers us fullness of hope and solid realities behind that hope. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know the song. When we've been there 10,000 years, that's exciting. Bright shining as the sun, that means me shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That's a hope. I can look forward to that. This morning, I want to put a, a light, a match underneath you and have you have your hope burning brighter. It was sung again today, and I couldn't have planned that. Romans 10, 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes in Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. Now that I like. I tend to change the channel every time a commercial comes on. Do you do that? I try to have two or three, you know, going on at the same time so I can skip all the commercials because I don't believe anything they're saying anyway. But this is a statement I can trust. I'm not going to be disappointed with this product, Jesus Christ. Well, God wants us to embrace our hope. Listen to Romans 15, 4. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance, 
that brings in what we learned about last week, and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The Bible teaches us how to have hope. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to all parts of the Bible and talk about hope. What is hope? Elpis in Greek, hope. Can you define hope? You might be thinking it's similar to faith, is it not? Yes, but it's also different. Write this down. Hope is a forward-looking faith based on God's promise that brings strength and joy in the present. That's a nice, succinct way of looking at hope. Hope is a forward-looking kind of faith, you see, and it's based on something. It's based on God's word, the promises of God. And what does that do? That gives me strength and joy in the present because I need that too. Here's another way of thinking about hope. Hope is a tool. It's a Christian tool that you can use in your life, in your home, when you talk to other people. How about this? Because everyone's into, you know, Aquaman and, and this woman and that man and all this stuff these days. Hope is a superpower. It's a weapon. Hope is what allows us to lay hold of our glorious future while we're still bogged down with the discouragements of the present. Man, it's, it's in a form, it's, it's an escape, but it's an escape to something that really is coming into our lives in the future. Ah, oh, brothers, Christian hope is beautiful. Hope blows heaven's aroma into the stench of worldly life. Hope radiates the light of future blessing into the dark and the dank realities of traversing down here below. I really hope it's true of you today as you listen that regardless of the trials that you're facing or the pessimism you feel about your country, or maybe you could care less about all of that, and you're just feeling alone. You're feeling dumped on by other people that should be helping you. You feel forgotten, left behind. I want you to be able to say with the psalmist, 130 verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. In his word do I hope. I hope you could say that. Today we're going to dig into God's word. I'm going to lead you through what would be less of an exposition of one passage and more of a meditation on six passages about hope. We are, after all, called Hope Bible Church. If someone comes to you and says, what's that all about? You better know what the Christian hope is. Uh, well, be able to explain it to others. We're going to visit six different New Testament texts, gleaning from each what I will call a harvest of hope. How's that for an introduction to the Thanksgiving season? Let us begin by considering our theme verse. I want you to turn to Hebrews. That's in the New Testament. Sounds like a book in the Old Testament, but it's not. Hebrews chapter 6. And verse 19, and I want to base our outline on the, on the word that is embedded in this verse, and it's the word anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R. That's going to be our outline because I've made an acronym out of it. Each letter is going to tell us one thing about our hope, and you're going to find the first one in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. And the A, of course, it's going to stand for the word anchor. I'll read it for you. This hope, he's talking about the Christian hope, Hebrews 6, 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. And he goes on to talk about entering into the veil and the heavenly places along with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to stop right there. 
Experienced men of the sea in ancient times would need no elaboration to understand the value of an anchor, and I doubt you need any elaboration either. Obviously, the anchor was an instrument of stability. Those sailors vividly understood that when sailing upon the vast open sea, those swelling waves could toss their ship, no matter how large it was, no matter how stable it might have felt at the docks, toss their ship about violently. Indeed, Turbulent waters driven by mighty winds were the ruin of many an ancient ship, resulting in the loss of precious cargo and even life. If not for the heavy iron, lead, or stone anchors that were thrown overboard, many more of a ship would have met a destructive end. And yes, for the seamen, the anchor meant stability for the crew, hope to get to the next destination. In Hebrews 6.19, it's picking up on that imagery. And it's saying that our hope in Christ is an anchor, not of a ship, but of our soul. Without it, our souls can drift. We're not as strong as we think we are. And we'll drift and we can be smashed against treacherous rocks, resulting in the ruin of our faith, the ruin of our soul, the ruin even for all of eternity. Listen, a loss of hope in your life is no joke. At the psychological level, we see people driven to despair and even to suicide because they've lost what? Hope. Eternally, people lose hope in God, lose hope in Scripture, lose hope in Christ, lose hope in the message of the church. And they should not. The Hebrew Christians that the writer of Hebrews was writing to here in chapter 6 are getting heavy warnings from this inspired writer, warning them, don't you dare turn back away from Christ the Messiah, away from Jesus the Messiah, and go back to your old Judaism, to your old religion, because you will have no hope there. You will find ruin for your soul there. In fact, in chapter 6 of Hebrews, it contains one of the strongest warnings in all of Scripture, the danger of falling away of faith in Jesus Christ. Contextually, the writer of Hebrews is warning these Hebrew Christians, don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to Moses. Don't go back to the law. There's no salvation there. Don't go and use the old Levitical priesthood. Don't abandon your faith in Messiah. In fact, the letter to the Hebrews is filled with one argument after another, demonstrating that faith in Jesus is superior to the old covenant in every way. Why? Because Jesus is superior to everything that you read about in the old covenant. If we were to read Hebrews 3.12, we would read another one of those warnings. It says, take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. You know, one of the dangers of having this COVID and everyone like skipping out on their small groups and not coming back to church and not connecting with one another is we can't shepherd each other all that well. And there's the danger that there's going to be found inside of you or inside of you or you or you or someone at home or in our overflow rooms, someone who's just quietly drifting away in the ruin. Instead, we're to do what chapter four and verse 16 exhorts us to do. Let us Therefore, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help when? In time of need. In chapter 6, if you just let your eyeballs go back a little bit earlier in the chapter, verse 11, it exhorts, We desire that each one of you show the same diligence of faith so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the very end. Don't abandon your hope. We want you to get everything that your hope has promised you. Now look what that hope is based upon. Look now 
just to the two verses before verse 19, verses 17 and 18, that God who cannot lie, oh, I like that. God who cannot lie has guaranteed with an oath. Now you realize when you and I make an oath, we have to make it uh, based on something that's greater than us. That's why they at least used to bring the Bible. You'd put your hand on the Bible and say, I swear to tell the truth, all truth and nothing but the truth. What are you swearing on? Something greater than me. What's that? The Bible. But God can't swear on anything greater than himself. Why not? Ain't nothing greater than God, right? That's your theology lesson for the day, right? So who does he swear by? Himself. Greatest being in the universe. He swears by himself. I am telling you what I'm going to do for you. I promised I will give these things to you. And I can swear by no one greater than myself. And so I'm swearing to give this to you. And I want you to hang on to this promise. I want you to hang on to this hope. You are going to get a chance, as it says in verse 20 and beyond, to follow Jesus through the veil as he entered into the Holy of Holies and the heavenly places. And, and we're going to follow with him and we're going to receive everything that he has received and all of the promises that were promised to him. We're going to get all of the riches, all of the reigning in his kingdom, everything God promised we're going to get. Receive all the promises. We have to endure now, though. This hope is meant to touch our lives in the future, but also daily now. Paul knew of the stabilizing strength of the Christian hope as he suffered in 2 Corinthians, the very first chapter, verses 8 through 10. He's talking about all these things that he had to face because he was a Christian apostle and he was going about and there were all these difficulties and this hope, this hope helped him. This hope got him through. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 10, he writes, for we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction when comes came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively. Listen to this wording, burdened excessively, beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Verse 9, indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. Paul trusted in the hope. Jesus did. Jesus the Messiah. He was facing going to the cross and being executed. Where was justice for him? Where were the world leaders that were to be standing for truth? Where were his countrymen speaking up for him? And we actually know what Jesus' words were prophetically recorded from the Old Testament and brought into the New Testament in Acts chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. And the Messiah said these words as he came to the cross. He said, my flesh, my body will abide in hope because thou wilt not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will not leave me in the grave. You will raise me from the dead. It is no wonder that all of us as believers are exhorted in Romans 12, 12 to keep on rejoicing in hope. How can you rejoice in hope? Because you know God has sworn to give it to you and you have great examples of men that have gone before you to hope when life was despairing. Be rejoicing in hope and persevering in tribulation, Romans 12, 12. Oh yes, there are false hopes, foolish hopes, unfulfilled hopes. These lead down the gutter of disappointment and despair. Don't follow them. In Proverbs 13, 12, it warns, hope deferred makes the heart sick. <laughs> you put your hope in something, it doesn't come about, and you just feel sick. That tells you you're hoping in the wrong thing. Why put your hope and what crumbles and is not solid ground. The election and all you hope may come from the election cannot bring man back to Christ. It cannot 
change the heart of men. That is a job and a role and a responsibility that God Almighty has given to the church of Jesus Christ. That is our role in society. It was not given to government. It is our role, and we need to be busy about preaching the gospel, living the gospel, so that the elect may come to salvation. That's our role. That's what we do. To the strong man who thinks that he himself is an anchor. Boy, I've really thought about this and watching my body go downhill so quickly. That any strong man, no matter how strong he is, God can put one finger on him and he'll find out how weak his body is. In Proverbs eleven seven, it chides the strong man. It says, the hope of the strong men perishes. To the self-proclaimed expert, Proverbs 26, 12 says, Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? Oh, yes, we see them all around. They call themselves experts and pundits. Then he finishes this. There is more hope for a fool than for him. Our hope, beloved, is no mere wishful thinking. Uh, wishing can never be an anchor for our souls. If you, when you hear the word hope, if you think that's like wishing for something to come true, you have no idea what hope is. Hope is not on par with blowing out birthday candles and wishing for the best. It's not flipping a coin into a pool of water and hoping some magical fairy will bring something good into your life. Christian hope is knowing the promises of God will come true because it is combined with a proven faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. And so Psalm 71, 3 and 5 exclaims, Thou art my rock and my fortress. Thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my confidence from my youth. If you're building a life from a young age right now, build it on hope in God. All right, that's letter A. The second is the letter N, and it stands for this, not seen. Our hope is not seen yet. We have an anchor, but it's not seen. Turn to Romans chapter 8. And we'll look at verses 8 through 25 just briefly. Romans chapter 8, just a few books back. And we will look at verses 18 to 25. Romans 8, 18. Paul writes, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. That is the redemption of our holy body. Verse 24, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for, for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. The key phrase throughout the passage is eagerly waiting. Verse 19 says the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God in glory. That's when we get resurrected from the dead and then the creation will follow us into a brand new millennial kingdom. Ever since the fall of man, way back in Genesis 3, falling into sin, this world, this creation, all of it, every side, every side of it was also subjected to futility. That's when the ground was cursed. And now there's disease and there's death and there's disasters and all of that. 
People ask if there's really a God out there, why does he allow all of this evil to happen? Why the hurricanes that pummel the coastlines? Why cancer that cuts life short? Why America can't have better leaders and have more integrity in elections? Because in response to mankind's sin, God has justly subjugated the entire creation to what it calls futility. That it might have to wait eagerly for something better that's coming along. An act of his glorious, gracious redemption. The waiting is also described as anxious longing in verse 19. And then in verse 23, it says, We ourselves in our own bodies, as we grow old, as we suffer, we wait eagerly for the completion of our redemption. That is, our bodies being brought to life. The resurrection of the body unto eternal glory. You can do all the nutrition you want right now, all the exercise, slap on all of the cosmetics you want. It will not deliver your body from corruption. You know that. Excessive attention to these things leads you to disappointment. Just wait a few more years. One of my good friends just saw how his very healthy Christian brother in a church here in Maryland just died quickly and suddenly from COVID. It's the strongest and even the youngest among us that can also die from an automobile accident or a sudden disease or anything. You are not as strong as you think you are. But here is the thing. The pain and the evil of today should never cause us to question God's existence or whether or not God is still with us. But to do what instead? To eagerly wait for his divine intervention in this world, in his timing. When he acts, verse 21 says, God will set the whole world free from its slavery to corruption. Verse 22, so now is the time of groaning. Now is the time of suffering, but the pains are but the pains of a childbirth as we eagerly await the fulfillment of all of our unseen hopes. And so the fulfillment of our Christian hope is still future. It's not seen. In fact, in verse 24, Paul belabors this point, saying that hope that is already seen couldn't possibly be called hope anymore. If you're sitting there hoping you're going to get a gift at Christmas time, and it's that special kind of gift, and now it's in your hand, you can't say you're hoping for it anymore. It's yours. When we get there, it'll be ours, you see. Now we hope for it. Why would anyone ever hope for what he sees, Paul writes? Here is the beauty of our hope. As we wait for this hope, we wait with eager expectation. And so we can say, Psalm 38, 15, I hope in thee, O Lord, thou wilt answer, O Lord my God. Keep crying, keep calling, keep reaching out to God, keep depending on him. He will test you. You'll go through endurance. You'll go through suffering, but he's promised you he will deliver on his promises. That's the end, A and and now we go to C. A third component of our hope is that it is supposed to be constant. Our hope is to be constant in this life. A and C. It is an anchor. It is not seen, but it is to be constant. Well, this was hinted at before, but I want you to turn back to the letter of Hebrews, this time to Hebrews chapter 10 and to verse 23. If you'll flip there, Hebrews 10 and verse 23. Just a simple exhortation. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, and here's the little phrase, without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You might begin well hoping in God and hoping that things will turn out better, but then you begin to waver because it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And the writer in Hebrews says, no, don't waver. Hold fast. Hold fast the confession of our hope and don't waver. 
Since our hope is based on the promises of God, we need to remember he who promised is faithful. You know, some people in your life are going to mean well. They're going to say nice things to you. They're going to promise you things. They may be coaches, parents, adults in your life, friends, but they don't make true on their, their promises and they dash those promises. They dash your hopes by breaking their promises. They don't come through for you when they said they would. I'll be there for you. You can call on me. You can count on me, but they're not really there for you. God is not that way. Though our hope is not seen, our hope is sure. Why? Because God is sure. Our response to the faithfulness of God and to the certainty of God's promises is that we must not waver in our hope. We must not waffle as we try to anticipate what we are going to see. Don't let Satan plant doubts in our minds. Instead, over time, grow stronger. Grow stronger and stronger. In constant hope, we hold fast to hope, like a football in the hands of a running back who's told when you get to that line, they're going to slap at you, they're going to yank and pull, they're going to knock you in every direction. But if you fumble that football, you're not playing anymore. Don't you fumble that football. You too hold fast your hope in Christ. Keep it as your possession. Do not fumble it. You'll never score a touchdown if you do that. Our hope for all of life and the fulfillment of our longings is to be fixed on Christ. 1 Timothy 4.10 says, we have fixed our hope on the living God. I like that. We've fixed our hope on the living God. I've made a decision in my mind. I'm going to place my hope somewhere. And it's not going to be in this. And it's not going to be in that because I don't want to be disappointed. But I see the living God and I'm reading about him. I'm learning about him. And I've decided I'm going to fix my hope constantly right there. Abraham did that. In Romans 4, it talks about Abraham's hope. Now, you read about Abraham in the Old Testament, and you see that he struggled with faith, but he never abandoned his hope, did he? It says this in Romans 4, verses 18 through 21. In hope against hope. What an interesting phrase. You begin to hope for something, and it doesn't seem to come about. So you're almost hoping against hope, you see. Abraham believed. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, that's his wife. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, God was able also to perform. Do you see what happened? Even though, you know, my body's dead, my the womb of my wife should not be able to produce a child. I am going to continue to hold on to hope constantly. And I'm going to grow in that. Abraham's hope in God went beyond what hope would normally be allowed to do. And so he's a great example of hoping and having faith in God. Oh, I hope we can be like Abraham. Like we can be like the psalmist too. Here's another psalm. Psalm 71 verse 14. But as for me, I will hope continually. And I will praise thee yet more and more. You see that? It's constant and it grows over time. How about Psalm 131 verse 3? O Israel, hope in God from this time forth and forever. Let your hope be constant to the very end of your life. Fourthly, another characteristic of this beautiful hope we share as believers, the letter H is that it is a heavenly hope. It is a heavenly hope. I want you to turn to 1 Peter. It's just back a couple of books here. Go past James. You'll come to 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. 
Our hope is an upward-looking hope. Listen to what we're told here. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope. Where? Where are we supposed to fix our hope? Here's the answer. Completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? There is a coming time when Jesus and his body and glory will break into human history and will be seen by every eye. Put your hope, fix your hope, right on that one great event in all of human history. Yes, we have a faith in what happened in the past, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, his bodily resurrection, but as you look towards the future, there's one event you should be hoping for. There's one event you should be urging in your own heart that will come about, which will never disappoint you. Fix your hope on that event. What's that? The revealing of Jesus Christ in glory. Why? Because when he's revealed in glory, you will get everything that you were promised as well. You also will be revealed in glory. And that's something to look forward to. And that is a heavenly breaking into an earthly reality. We look up and we wait for him coming. It's a heavenly hope. In fact, the letter of 1 Peter was written in the midst of difficult times for Christians, just like the letter of Hebrews. If we had time to skim it, which we don't, I would point to chapter 1, verse 6, that shows that they were distressed by various trials. In chapter 3 and verse 14 of 1 Peter, it speaks of suffering for the sake of righteousness. In chapter 4 and verse 12, it exhorts believers, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. When evil men turn against Christians with all of their warped justifications, it should only cause us all the more to look not down here to our so-called elected officials, not to the present life, nor present structures to solve problems, but if we're looking for deliverance, we should be looking to a place that has the power and the ability to deliver us. That place is called heaven. Heaven is not pie in the sky. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is such a real place. It was real and existed before this place existed. This place is the copy of that place. And that place is where God has always been. We're the copy. They're the reality. And heaven has determined that there is a date in our calendar when it will break into the, the cycles of this world and break into the history of this world and impose its government, impose its will on all of mankind on this planet. Leading the way will be someone riding on a white horse. His name is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. And that's what it reveals in Revelation 19. He comes to take his world that he won, that he rules over, that he holds the title deed for in his hand. He comes with all of us following him on white horses, clothed in white robes. It's a heavenly hope. Heaven is real. Heaven is powerful. Heaven controls earth. I was asking myself this week, who's in control? Who gets to say who won this or won that? Who's in charge? Ah, Tom, heaven's in control. Peter says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revealing of Jesus Christ. That word completely, teleos, also can be translated perfectly. All of your full hopes should be planted there, attached to that one great event. 
And this requires, as the earlier part of the verse exhorts us, get your mind ready for action. Be thinking properly. Don't listen to the way the media tries to control your thinking or to control facts or shield you from hearing this while you should also be hearing that. Don't let that happen to you. Don't think of your reality around you the way they think about it. Think about it through Scripture. That's why we teach Scripture so much. That's why we urge you to read it. You got to get that in your mind, not... 12 hours of worldly thinking all week long. Prepare your minds for action. Titus 2.13 also shows well this upward-looking kind of hope, saying that we should be looking for the blessed hope. I love this. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is our great God and Savior, and He's in the heavenly places. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's coming back, so our eyes should be up. It's a heavenly hope. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1.1, it bluntly affirms, Christ Jesus Himself is our hope. What is your hope? You answer Him, Christ Jesus. He's going to break through the clouds. You're going to see Him one day. You better believe in Him now. He alone will set things right. One excellent way to check your own spiritual attitude any day is simply to ask this. If Jesus came back today and he interrupted all of your life's plans, would you be happy or sad? If you said you'd be sad, then you haven't been waiting for a Christian hope. You're living for your own reasons and not for Christ's. Oh, Jesus, Maranatha, come back and shake up this planet and please interrupt all of our plans. Shake us free from lesser hopes and help us to settle on that one that when we see it, we will be wondering why we ever hoped for anything else. Why didn't we just pray it would all be sped up? With hope, we see the coming age in which unfathomable bounty awaits us. You are rich and privileged beyond anything that you can imagine. You just don't fully understand that yet. 1 Peter 1.4 says our hope involves an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Do any of you have a lockbox at the bank? You're like, yep, I got my really good treasures in that lockbox and it's safe. No, it's not. The government will find some way to get that from you, I guarantee it. But what is safe is what you've hoped for. That's reserved forever. And then we have fifth, letter O, our hope is for outreaching. We're in 1 Peter. We'll stay there. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Look at it. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to do what? To give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. I know you're going to want to sock it to them. Don't do that. Speak as gently as you can. Be self-controlled. Be gentle. Remember that you understand all of this because God has revealed it to you. Be gentle with them. Be reverent in whatever positions they have. But you have a hope inside of you. You better be able and ready to be able to explain why you have that hope and not another hope. Why are you not a Buddhist? Why are you not this or that? Why is it that you're a Christian? If Christ truly is your Lord and you have set him apart in your heart as your own Lord, he calls on you to give a verbal defense for your personal hope in him. Men, women, older, younger, that's for all of you. 
You are placed in this world. Someone's going to ask you. They're not going to come to church. They're going to see you out there doing something. They're going to say, why is that smile on your face? How can you be in a good mood? What do you do on the weekends? Why do you go to church? I see you bring your Bible in. Why do you do that? They see some form of your Christianity and they ask you about it. Be ready. Christ is your Lord. He's commanded you to do that. Be ready to give an answer to that question of anyone who asks you. Give a solid biblical answer. When the proud and the self-assured people of this world reach the end of their rope, and they will, they will enjoy their little rope, their little parade, and one day they'll come to the end and they'll say, I never realized I would be here. I never thought that would happen to me. It will. You will be there for them. And you will tell them why your hope is a better hope, a much better hope. You'll be able to brag, not in yourself, but in your hope, and tell them how much better it is. In Ephesians 2 and verse 12, it describes our former life when we were unbelievers. It says, quote, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. And then it goes on to say, you had no hope and you were without God in the world. Now, remember, unbelievers think they have hope, but God says they have no hope. There's no hope for them. All that's going to happen to unbelievers is they're going to go to the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20. They're going to stand there naked before God who's going to read off how they live their life. They're going to have no defense attorney. They're going to have no chance to appeal the decision. No one's going to be there to help them. They won't be able to lie or hide or do anything. They'll be assigned to the lake of fire and angels that are stronger than them will throw them in there. And that's all they have to look forward to. That's not hope. That's not hope. But that's not us. We have a true hope. God agrees they have no hope because whatever they hope in, they're never, never going to get it. It's not based on reality. Have you ever been to the funeral of an unbeliever? So dreary, right? What do they have to look forward to? 1 Thessalonians 4.13 tells Christians, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. That's a believer that has died talking about their body, it looks like it's sleeping, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest, that is unbelievers, who have what? No hope, no hope. I don't know if you ever rent Dante's version of hell, but above the entrance is the inscription, leave behind all hope, you who enter here. Terrible. I don't know how many of you are into the Lord of the Rings. But in that second of the series, the two towers, it's Aomar, the Rohan warrior that warns Aragon, hope has forsaken these lands. A terrible thing to think that that has happened to a place. Our hope is not like that. Our hope is a living hope. Why is the Christian hope called a living hope? Here's the answer. Because the one we hope in is still what? Alive. He rose literally and bodily from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus in human history is the basis of our hope. So again, I say when someone sees you face trials differently than others do, please speak with boldness. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3.12, having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. I need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded of that. This testimony will bear light in their soul as it comes out of us. Someone once said, there's not enough darkness in all of the world to put out the light of one tiny candle. If you understand your hope properly, it should keep you motivated to outreach. You have an outreaching hope and never 
to despair. Well, sixth and last, our hope is a refining hope. A refining hope. Just turn two books to the right to 1 John chapter 3, and we'll wrap this up. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. And here, we're told that when we really have this hope, it cleans us up. It refines us and sanctifies us while we're down here on earth. In chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 John, John reminds everyone, oh, the Father loves us. What a great love he has on us that we're called the children of God. But look at verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when Jesus appears, we're going to be like him because he, we will see him just as he is. Now here's verse 3 that talks about the purifying element of our hope. Everyone who has this hope, notice how specific he is. This hope, not another hope. Everyone has this hope on Christ. What does he do? He purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. That's actually active. When you put your hope on Christ, it causes you to purify yourself. How does that work? Because you know that the one you're hoping in is bright and holy and true and pure. He's described as light. And you know that when you see him, he's going to have penetrating eyes, like the eyes of fire revealed in Revelation chapter 1 that John the Apostle saw. And he's going to be able to see through everything as it talks about in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, that God's eyes penetrate into the, into the lives of all creatures. Nothing is hidden from his sight. You realize he knows everything about you and you're going to have to stand before him, give an account of your life, that that's where everything is headed. And when you realize that and you're hoping in him, hoping that he will break through the clouds, man, that puts the fear of God in you. That gets you ready now. What am I doing wasting time with this pornography? What am I doing wasting time with such a foul mouth? What am I doing with these bad habits in my life? Don't I know what my hope tells me and where I'm going? Ah, my hope is fixed on him and he is holy and he is true and he knows everything about me. So as I hope for him, as I realize that day is drawing near, either of his arrival or my death, it's got to purify me. It's got to have that impact on me to make me more like him. I pray this little meditation on the Christian hope the anchor of our soul, will give you strength, will give you joy in the present, will give you boldness now, will give you a direction and a solid foundation as you face whatever we have to face as believers. Father, thank you for our hope in Christ and thrill us now, Lord, as we hear about the work of your grace in the lives of those whom you have saved. Fill your people with hope as your word has instructed us this day. We pray it again in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.